In one of her books, Barbara Johnson told the story of how in 1997, Reeve Lindbergh, the daughter of aviator Charles Lindbergh, was invited to give the annual Lindbergh Address at the Smithsonian Institution's Air and Space Museum. It was to commemorate the 70th anniversary of her father's historic solo flight across the Atlantic. And on the day of the speech, museum officials invited Reeve to come early before the facility opened so that she could have a close-up look at the Spirit of St. Louis, the plane that her father had piloted. It's suspended from the ceiling at the Air and Space Museum. And so that morning, Reeve and her son, Ben, who was about 10 at the time, climbed into the back of a cherry picker, a long-armed crane that carried them up until the plane was at eye level and within their reach. And Reeve, seeing this plane that her father had so bravely flown across the sea, was an, it was an unexpected unforgettable experience. She reached out, she touched the plane, and she ran her fingers along the door handle, and tears welled up in her eyes at the thought of what she was doing in that connection with her father. And she said to her son, oh, Ben, isn't this amazing? And Ben said, yeah, I've never been in a cherry picker before. (laughs) Part of the lesson in today's parable is about appreciating the gifts and opportunities that are right in front of us. Jesus is continuing his monologue to and against the religious leaders, as Jack was telling us, those who were opposing him, and this is the week before he was crucified. Last week, we looked at one allegory that Jesus created to help these people see that they had squandered the gifts that they had received. And in this allegory, Jesus digs even deeper, describing the kingdom of God as a wedding feast. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob believed that they were chosen by God to be God's elect people. They were the chosen ones. They were then invited to the royal wedding. So that's the first part of the allegory. Now, you think about the royal wedding. We have images of that from April of this year, right? When Prince William and now Princess Catherine were married. And did you ever imagine receiving an invitation? Well, I didn't either. But but could you imagine it? receiving one of these engraved invitations, and would we have not responded with a grateful yes to this once-in-a-lifetime experience? Would we not have rearranged our schedule, purchased a ticket on British Airways? But then as the date got closer, we decided, oh, I don't want to deal with the crowds. It's too much trouble. I'd be able to see it better on television, and no one will miss me. Jesus is saying that this is how the chief priests and Pharisees at the temple were responding to his good news about God. They were rejecting the invitation. UCLA football coach Pepper Rogers was in the middle of a terrible season one year, and it got so bad that it upset his home life. He recalls about that, that he said, my dog was my only friend. 
And I told my wife that a man needs at least two friends, and she bought me another dog. <laughs> you know, that's that's rejection. You know, we've all experienced some form of rejection, and this is what Jesus is saying that the the Pharisees and the chief priests are doing when they've been offered this wonderful invitation to this wedding feast, to this spiritual feast of God, and they're saying. No thanks. Think about what we do when we're rejected. We can choose whether to push our way back into the attention of the one who rejected us, or we can choose to look elsewhere. After the first rejection, the king sends more servants, but when the invited ones respond with violence... The king tears up that first guest list, and he sends out his messengers to invite everyone else, everyone else. That means some people are invited who don't smell so good. That means some people are invited who don't look so good. That means some people who are are invited who don't believe the same way we do. Everyone. Now, the Greek word for invite is to call. In the church, we talk about someone experiencing a call to ministry, which is sensed and approved not just by the person who feels called, but by those who know the person and who experience their gifts for ministry. Several weeks ago, this congregation ordained three new deacons. They were called into the service of the church. And these three men, in this case, responded to that call with obedience, and they are now serving in that role. It's a meaningful and important tradition of the early church, and yet, sometimes I think we define the term call too narrowly. Can't you think of people, maybe, can you think of when you were growing up, and your favorite teacher, and you think that person was called to be a teacher. You know, people who are called to be salesmen even, called to be homemakers, called to be engineers, called to sing in the choir, called to teach Sunday school. When God calls, we choose to accept or reject that invitation. If we reject the invitation, not only does God find another way to go about accomplishing the work of the kingdom, but also we suffer the consequences. We miss out on the feast. Back in July, a driver pulled out in front of our car and we rammed into the side of his. Several weeks later, there was a type of invitation tucked in our storm door summoning me to court. Now, I had a choice about whether to obey. And when you think through the consequences, like contempt of court, or perhaps the insurance bills don't get paid after all, you figure it's better to adjust your schedule and be there when expected. Well, since the other driver is 17, we ended up in Judge Philip Trumpeter's courtroom And he could not have been more gracious to me. 
And he was gracious to the other driver, too, but he was also very serious. But to me, he just said, thank you, Ms. Britt, for being here. We really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. He was so appreciative that I was there. Now, it was slightly amusing, as I knew that disobedience would have been unwise. <laughs> but I wonder whether we think through the consequences of ignoring God's invitation, God's summons. To what has God called you? To what service? And to what feast? Leith Anderson told about a woman he knew named Joan Hollister Gilbert. Joan, he described as a delightful person who had a long and difficult and courageous battle against cancer. And during her illness, her husband got cancer too, and eventually he died, so she had to deal not only with her own cancer, but her husband's death. Now, this took place a few years later when Joan was dying, just a few days left, and she invited Leith and his wife Charlene Anderson to come and sit by her bedside. She said she knew she was going to die, and she talked about it. And most people, some people, choose not to do that. She said she wasn't afraid. She said she was excited about entering the presence of God. But that was the shortest part of the conversation. Most of the time she talked about people about whom she was concerned. She talked about the visitors and their children. She talked about her own children and those of others. And Anderson found out that on that day and the day before and the day after, leading right up to her death, that this woman had invited a whole list of people to come and sit by her bedside so that she could bless them before she died. Those who could not come, she talked with on the telephone. And Anderson said, if anyone had a right to be self-concerned, and if ever there was a time when she had every justification to be primarily focused upon herself, it was Joan, and it was then. But she lived out humility. She cared more about others and their needs than she cared about herself and her own needs. She responded to God's call to reach out to others, even in her own direst moments. Each of us receives a summons, a call from God. Imagine that we have missed out on the first guest list to the wedding feast, the one that was shredded, and we're among the wicked and the good now summoned to join the wedding feast. We swarm into the wedding hall, amazed at the sights and smells. We begin enjoying all the delectable hors d'oeuvres, and then we watch as the king approaches us. And as we open our mouths to thank him for the invitation, he says, Friend, how did you get in here without dressing appropriately? We don't know what to say. We're speechless. The king's messenger said, come to the wedding feast, so we came to the wedding feast. The messenger didn't tell us how to dress. We didn't know that there was more than we needed to do. Or did we?
writing a few years after he was transformed by Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, and they preserved it for us. These verses from chapter 3. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Our invitation is to transformation. Our neighbors have four children ranging from fifth grade through high school. And on one wall in their study, they have eight by tens of each child in each grade. Visitors then can see the transformations that have taken place through the years as the children have grown. But then there are certain characteristics that haven't changed. And you can see the eyes that are the same every year, for example. Well, age never transforms us, does it? No. No, but there are other ways that we can choose to be transformed. We can study. We can listen to God. We can join a small group for accountability and encouragement. We can worship often. We can take a rejuvenating walk in the woods. We can work with others on a mission project at Baptist Friendship House. We can donate money sacrificially. We can welcome those with whom we disagree. These are ways that we accept God's summons to transformation. Those of us who reject being transformed into the likeness of Christ are the ones who get thrown out into the outer darkness in Jesus' allegory where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when I think of that image of weeping and gnashing of teeth, I think of regret. That's the word that comes to mind. And through this parable of judgment, we have the ability to judge ourselves on whether we are being as faithful as God calls us to be. Now there's a caveat to that, because some of us live with a sense of unworthiness. Paul Jones tells of a woman who shared her story of her childhood as a polio victim, and she wrote, When my mother left me in Sunday school, I always asked to wear her locket. She thought I liked the locket. That wasn't it at all. I knew I wasn't worth coming back for, but I knew she she would come back for her locket. We all have worth in the eyes of God. And so I think there's a tension and a balance here between seeking to be clothed with Christ and transformed by his humility and compassion, all of who he was, 
but knowing too that at the same time we are completely accepted by the God who created us and who loves us. Let's pray for God's help. Lord our God, we thank you for your invitation to us. Continue to reach out to us, to summon us toward you and toward the good that we can experience and the good that we can do for your sake. We pray for courage. We pray for wisdom. And we pray to be transformed into the image of Christ so that we too may enjoy the feast of your kingdom. With thanksgiving we pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.